It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Benjamin Richardson. Good morning. Hello. And joined by Ash Millman. Hello. Now, for people who don't know Mr. Benjamin Richardson, he's our best guru man who comes up with all sorts of different content things. And there's chances I was already written something that many people already love. Yeah, I mean, so far I've been banned from the podcast because my, my northern phonemes aren't really suitable for yeah. a wider audience. Yeah, so feel free to <laughs> shout out him in the comments if you can't understand what he says. And we will, I mean, it's, we'll it's go all right there. for Josh, but apparently not me. <laughs> he's, he's sort of refined himself a little bit. So um, Amy Hennig, uh, creative director on the old Uncharted games, did a bit with the Legacy of Kane games, um, was recently talking about the viability of single player in the industry and the idea that something like the first Uncharted wouldn't get greenlit anymore. Um, and obviously these comments got blown up, you know, to the, this whole conversation around the viability of single player overall. Um, the thing that a lot of outlets missed was that she wasn't saying that single player isn't viable at all. Yeah. Because um, obviously one of the go-to, and I retweeted this because in the moment I was like, yes! But oh, here he is with his retweets. Here he is with the things. Was, uh, you know, one of the things that blew up was like, well, look at all the single player games recently. God of War, Spidey, Uncharted, even Uncharted 4, Outsold, yeah. XYZ, multiplayer. And it's that's not what she was saying. She was saying, look at the viability of a new single-player um, story-driven yes. IP because that's where it gets really weird. Well, and I think there's something else embedded in those comments is mm. that she was very specific about a short, and she mentioned eight-hour-long, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. uh, single-player campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, you hate the word campaign. <laughs> I do hate the word campaign. <laughs> but, um, but she used it, so I'm mm-hmm. quoting her. Um, as how they're no longer viable. You look at the single-player games you just mentioned, mm-hmm. Spider-Man and even Uncharted 4 yep. and uh, what was the one you mentioned? Uh, Spider-Man, God of War. God of War, that's it, yeah. And for all much, much longer games than we would yeah. traditionally expect from a single-player game. Um, almost as if the content has been stretched out dramatically mm. to appease the expectation of an audience. And I, I think that is precisely what she's saying. You couldn't do something like the first Uncharted, just a nice uh, two, two three-night game that's yeah. complete... Well-rounded, everything has to be in and out. You know, it's also yeah. not open world as well. Like the first, I mean, Uncharted no. in Uncharted Four has this stupid term which is wide linear for those like wide. Well. bigger levels. Um, call me Johnny Wide Linear. It's, it's, it's bizarre because Uncharted Four is ostensibly a linear game. Yes, um, but I think you've got a couple of levels where you're in that off-road vehicle in yeah, the big Madagascar. Stuff, yeah, yeah um, almost as, as if those were an attempt to. Pl- 
advocate the desire to be open world without mm-hmm. actu- yeah. without her actually having to make an open world game, which she cl- so clearly doesn't want to do. It's yeah. not linear; it's wide linear. Yeah. Just like yes. please remember the wide. That, I mean, that, that, that means you can go left. I mean, like Hennig had left Uncharted at that point, but it's interesting because something like Uncharted Lost Legacy, like literally, has a bit where you go to this big open hub world thing, mm-hmm. and there's a big old tower, and it's like, hey, do you want to get some collectibles? You can if you want. There's some coins. Go get some stuff. No, and it's like here's open world design inf- infiltrating something that was you know like primarily linear. Um, but I think the the conversation is interesting because if you try to think of new single player story focused games with new characters because her, she had another point about like or the wider conversation ref- references the idea that we're only interested in sequels and franchises something mm-hmm. like Uncharted 4 did so well because it's building on Uncharted so if you try to think of new single player story focused games I can think of Horizon um, 2016's <laughs> Horizon um, in terms of like a whole new world and there's other Sony ones like they've got Days Gone coming yeah. up but obviously it's playing on zombie tropes and it's open world again and so like Sony have been flying the flag Ghost of Tsushima is another one um, but I don't know if you guys have anything that comes to mind. I think the whole point is that there's not too much. No, literally, there's there's plenty of games that introduce new characters into a storyline we're already familiar with, mm. but like that is literally it, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's all building on legacies of the past, which is where all the AAA games come from now. Well, um, I'd say the example that we read at Redemption 2. But yeah, but it's which a sequel. With it a, is, but with a new there's another point to that too. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's, that leads you into John Marston's story, so it's yeah. not even something that is technically a new there's, character. There's no risk True. involved yeah. whatsoever when you, when you, as you say, you introduce new characters mm. into established IPs. Um, in terms of a triple A sphere, absolutely none mm. spring to yeah. mind. Um, I know it, in independent games for all over the place, but nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about them. And I, I'm going to mention it. <laughs> well, no, that, that's to. a great brand, that's a great pivot because it's worth. Like, I mean, we've done like I've done a couple of videos on this. We've talked about it amongst the office and stuff. The general sort of conversation around like indie gaming. It used to have this kind of stigma around it where it's like, oh my god, they're all pixel platformers. But whatever, well, like it, it, you know, they so, are. This, 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 <laughs> not all of them, Ash. <laughs> it was Lordy. stigmatized also because people were expecting to get a lesser experience from a mm. lower budget game. Mm. It was always that independent games couldn't possibly match the quality of a AAA game mm-hmm. um, because they didn't have the budgets, mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have the development teams, and because mm. maybe they didn't have the experience behind them. I think that's not the case anymore. No. I think we, we're seeing what are essentially indie games produced with budgets that are outstripping mm-hmm. yeah. games of previous generations. You mm. know, you well, that's, we knew, like, budgets is a huge thing because um, something like Hellblade, that's Senua's Sacrifice, uh, I always get the name of the developer wrong. I think it's Team Ninja. It's them or some Ninja Theory, one of the two. Nin- Ninja Theory, so I'm going to go with. It, I'll yeah. put my bets on Ninja Theory. Um, they wanted to prove that you could do something that looked like a AAA game with an indie soul. Like It's, yeah. it's entirely story-focused, not open world, it's really linear, um, and they wanted to prove that you, if you just keep an eye on the budget, not everything has to be massive, gargantuan, mm. you know, anthem-sized, well, yeah. 4K <laughs> leafs and all that. The problem is that the definition of a triple A game has been completely redefined. Mm. It's um, you look at a game like a Hat in Time, for mm-hmm. example, um, a game I've been banging on about the last day. Really. platformer. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an attempt to make a game that was very much in the style of Mario Sunshine and Banjo Kazooie, and it achieved, accomplished that and mm-hmm. more, I would say. And it's no lesser in quality in either of those two games, but both of those were considered triple A games when they were released mm-hmm. in '98 and even 2002 uh, Mario Sunshine. Um. You know, it's, it's 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 it's, but it's not. It doesn't look like AAA games of today. It doesn't have no. a fifty-hour playtime. Mm. It doesn't have loot boxes. It doesn't have a big publisher's name. It doesn't have a five thousand name yeah. credits list. Mm-hmm. Half-hour so, credit sequence in Red Dead Redemption well. Two. Yeah, yeah. No it's, a, it's it's because people have been conditioned <laughs> to think that AAA games are a certain thing. Are fifty-pound games mm. that you can buy in a shop, mm-hmm. but they're not. You can have a AAA game that is 
disguised as an indie game. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's one of the things on the indie side is like something like the Unreal Engine 4 went free. So it was like developers had access to bigger well, budget tools. I mean, in terms of quality, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. in terms of elevating the bar of what we think of when we think of an indie game, like there yeah. is there is still that assumption that it's going to be this like, you know, cheap, like pixely type thing. Um, but something like Hellblade, like is ostensibly an indie game, except that it looks like a triple A game. Mm. And so like, I think that one of the biggest questions is, is budget, is budgetary. Well, Look at it this way. Um, High in Time was Kickstarter funded, and I think it managed to raise something like $7 million. Right. Uh, which is a significant fee. If you look at the very first Uncharted, mm-hmm. yeah. had a budget of $20 million. Mm-hmm. And that That's like a fraction be... of yeah, exactly. like, you know, something like Anthem or, or the assumptions of what Anthem would be going on. I was going to say, there's recent Kickstarter games like Psychonauts 2, that's only, and that's obviously building on something that's already had a big franchise. That mm-hmm. only got $3.2 million. Yeah, so I mean, I, like I think... a big money. Yeah, I think so much money and, and like time and effort. And I did a whole video on, um, you know, is the industry heading for a crash kind of thing? Because it's like so much time and effort is put into fleshing out, like, you know, making worlds look 4K mm-hmm. or like so much extraneous detail that doesn't really matter. Like, you know, like detailing like some riverbed in the yeah. corner of an open world game that no one's ever going to get to. <gasps> and like, that's my point about budgetary stuff. Fluctuating equine. Yeah, but it, like, <laughs> like, a, but like it ties into what you said about like, you know, is anyone really going to like, you know, see all this stuff? Does it really matter? It's like, completely you know? superfluous to mm-hmm. experience. It's if... Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I mean, I'm with you, but yeah. A good game's a good game. Mm. You don't need all the bells and whistles. That's what I was going to say. Just, just very quickly, because I had this whole tangent thing, was because um, you said about, you know, people have been conditioned to expect these these big like eye-popping 4k over the top things and that is because the industry always had like a, a half of like a tech focus like look how much we've rendered mm. this person's face look what we've done like you know and that's that's the glass ceiling i think we're approaching i think it's interesting yeah, because i think as, as we approach the tech ceiling it's now impossible or it's becoming increasingly impossible for a developer to just release the same thing but better mm-hmm. you know like oh it looks better you can do more well you can't do more you, so yeah. so mm-hmm. so where do you where do you start making money how do you reinvigorate people's interest in like tired franchises. And well, the that's is, the thing. I mean, remaster it, it and send it out again. <laughs> yeah. 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 HD for a fifth time, yeah. But mm-hmm. the answer is probably that you can't. So what you have to do is devise this perpetual model, which is what we've got now. We can continue to make money mm-hmm. on a single product, and it's not necessarily what players want, but it's it is what we're mm-hmm. unfortunately. That was something you were going to say before, before I cut you off. Oh, I think I was just going to say it all boils back to the point of what um, what you said about AAA. AAA, AAA games. <laughs> All the AAA. <laughs> Lovely batteries they are. Um, the AAA games um, changing fundamentally of what we are expecting from them. Um, oh my God, my point's gone into the wind. Well, I, it, it's, the, it's the fundamental change of that is what's expecting. It is a technological expectation mm-hmm. that's put on them and it is everything in one that is expected from them. And there is a point where we're not going to be able to do that anymore. And I guess indie games, the sort of things where you have the side and it go, it's going back in time. It's kind of like yeah, a little with... Bit fashion with films we mm. always get this nostalgic click where we go oh everything was actually better back then why don't we do that again yeah I did one of the things that again like it, I, for me the, the core the crux of the matter is, is budgetary and like mm. the idea of risk taking like you read all, every time there's a big big budget failure Kotaku will do a big deep dive on exactly why it happened yeah. and a lot of the conversations with the big top tier publishers especially the third party ones they want to roll the dice on the biggest risks for the biggest payouts and it's like when those things don't come back like something like Anthem is obviously not it's not disastrous but it doesn't look very good and like you know all the layoffs well, but I would say that's not a big big role on a big risk because it's something they've seen successful somewhere else and they've just tried to replicate it which is why it's gone down the path true I guess I'm talking like risks in terms of like I don't know it's just it's such it plays it so safe I'd also be interested to know how how commonly these parent failures actually are failures in terms of um gross profit Mm. yeah and not net profit because it's it's part of the issue is that the development 
teams and the budgets have become so dramatically unsustainable. That's that, what I meant by risk is the death yeah, time. Yeah, it, it, it's that these are games that if, if they'd been released even 10 years previously mm. would have been huge critical success, mm. uh, commercial successes, sorry. Um, but it's not the case now. No, mm. but I think, that, I mean, I've, I've gotten, I'm going to plug my own stuff, but I just, I happen to have an editorial coming up about the um, the corporate poison of... of uh, corporate poison? The insulting poison of corporate Jesus. gaming. Um, because I think you can feel this stuff and yeah. you can feel it in a lot of the big budget games. Like that's one of the things that puts you off a lot of AAA stuff yeah, you, or puts you, us you, off a lot of AAA you, you stuff. Can, you can feel that the games aren't designed like, like in the same way they were across the 2000s yeah. and the 90s that idea like of like mechanical innovation on the gameplay side it's yeah. like when was the last time we had a big triple A game that played fundamentally differently like I mean Battle yeah. Royale is a hell of a thing in terms of a genre but like when was the last time we had a, a nice new set of mechanics like God of War Spider-Man they're so safe well totally right because the first thing that put me off like personally but put me off Red Dead Redemption 2 which mm. I did play and really enjoyed afterwards was that everyone was so obsessed with the light shining through people's cartilage and I was <laughs> yeah. like I don't care like, yeah, it, is, it is great it is, it's so interesting it's amazing that we get to these levels with gameplay and we can do all this with technological innovation, mm -hmm. but the core of it should be a gameplay. solid narrative, which Red Dead Redemption. Oh, I was going to say gameplay. Oh, I mean, I guess you got a bit I, of. Both. I vote story every time. Well, this is a, mm. this is a, comp is a new question. Go on. And unfortunately, it's it's one that's not served either way by AAA titles uh -huh. because you, you, it's in. It's as I believe Amy Hennig said, mm -hmm. um, the, these forty-hour, fifty-hour, hundred-hour, whatever, never-ending experiences. Mm. That's not conducive to. An arc, a storyline arc no. that starts somewhere, reaches an apex and goes. No, yeah. it's something that has to go on mm -hmm. constantly. Well, so that quote, um, yeah, she was saying like something like games as a service or that approach, that yeah. idea of a business model. Um, they're less conducive to a traditional storytelling. It has a stories have a shape and an arc and a destination, but something that's a live service doesn't. And so, like that's the thing. I think there's a big problem with memorability. Mm. That something like Anthem. I forgot Anthem even happened the other day. Like it's only it's been like a week. You hate it, Anthem. So I don't know, much. I don't, I don't. How can you forget that hatred, like, honestly? <laughs> well, that proves that I don't hate it because I kind of forgot. But I think that something like Anthem, it comes and everyone plays it for a bit and yeah. they're like, yep, cool, there's no memorable characters or particular like set piece moments or whatever. But if you go back like 10 years um, or like across the 2000s, you've got like Max Payne and Halo yeah. and Mass Effect and all these different worlds and laws and mythologies and characters that are memorable and talked about. Mm. It's like across the 2010s, it's like, when's the last time we had a, a new video game character or a world that everyone was talking about? Like, there's not that many, really, unless they're mm. playing on an established world. I think, I so. think... Mm, yeah, mm. that's the key point. What I would say as well is that um, the idea of one character that can rally around, that, that dates back to uh, the mascot, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is something that... Maybe not you, Ash, but certainly you, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Stone Age men, we'll know. We, we, we grew up with being... The console mascot, that, yeah, the Crash Bandicoot, the console the mascots yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and games revolving around characters, because mm -hmm. that's how we were sold to us mm -hmm. as children. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just the case that today's generation of gamers aren't as familiar with that and don't gravitate, gravitate towards mm -hmm. that as much. So it might not be as viable a model. I don't. I think it's definitely the true in marketing because I think gaming is, has just become more mature. But I think we just don't have like those like developers. Uh, sorry, publishers don't want to take the risk on a new establishing a whole new law. I think Anthem should be praised in that regard. I actually, quite yeah. like its world building. The written stuff. Yes. Amazing. The written like it's like the whole um, just to talk about Elder Scrolls Online. The yes. way that they do their uh, like. The YouTube shorts, with oh, yeah. the, the stories and everything behind them, mm -hmm. amazing. Well, it's like Overwatch, like all yeah. their lore is in YouTube shorts. Yeah. Like, there are, I mean, yes, okay, Overwatch fans, there is some stuff in the game, but it's not anywhere near yeah, as over as in the shorts. Exactly, that's where the, the heart of this game lies and what the interest and the pull is, is in mm. the story, not so much the, the story, <laughs> not so much the, uh, the gameplay, mm -hmm. again, 
because when you're actually playing the game, it's very dry and long and extended and mm-hmm. drawn out and games of service, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But when you look at YouTube, then you're like, ooh, there's actually something well, interesting. Well, oh, God, and as, a, as, a next, as a point for that, I mean, Neil Blomkamp did a little short movie to go alongside the launch of Anthem. Mm. That short movie got me more interested in Anthem than anything that Bioware yeah. and EA have put out because they focused on characters and arcs and, and the potential story and, and world and everything. And it's, None it's, of that's in the game. It's so alien for Bioware as well because it's mm. it's mm-hmm. it's what they're made. And then they're for. the story people. Yeah, like, and it's almost like they themselves have been strong-armed in uh, doing yeah. what everybody else has I'm to do. I'm looking forward to the the full, the deep dive, the Jason Schreier deep mm. dive and exactly what happened with that because his thing with Mass Effect Andromeda was fascinating and yeah. you know, he's written about the end of Mass Effect 3 and things like that. So um, for someone like Bioware, they're almost like the perfect company to, uh, to developer to hold up because they've changed so much like Baldur's Gate to Dragon Age and Mass Effect mm. all the way through to just like just a run and gun loot shooter mm. and I do think Anthem does have praiseworthy elements I do think its world is, is enjoyable and stuff but you can look at it and go like yep this is the base corporate well, approach to even, spreadsheet game design you look at Jade Empire yeah, yeah, Empire, yeah that's, Empire. that's vastly underrated and that's mostly forgotten and there's no connective tissue between Jade Empire and Anthem you can hardly believe it's the same <laughs> studio uh, Anthem could if unless I if I didn't know, I would never guess it was a bioware game. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. 
And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Are you an, it's an EA game. Yeah, it's a it feels EA like it, game. yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, like something like Anthem, like, I mean, you have to do all these assumptions at the minute because it, it like I said, you, it feels like it has this corporate mentality mm. to it. Um, but I think bringing it back around to, um, we both before when you were like, oh, it's about story and I said it's about gameplay. Yeah. Um, something yeah. Hennig mentioned, which is really interesting, is that um, something like Uncharted 2 and 3 would, would gain multiplayer modes mm. and so would sustain a fan base alongside you had the story. And I remember the Uncharted 2 and 3 for the story. I played very minimal of the multiplayer, mm. but that seems to sustain people. And mm. so it's like, you it's know, like do you need both? Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mass like three. I, I would say the multiplayer completely unnecessary to the actual inte- integral story of that no matter mm. how good or bad I, you I didn't it. know mm-hmm. Mass Effect 3 had multiple exactly it was actually, <laughs> it's actually really it's solid though it's like, actually from working here that I found yeah. out I, had. I was like oh, I have to play the storyline <laughs> well they, they try to tie it in because in, in Mass Effect 3 it was like you had the galactic readiness stat which is going to play mm. into your final end game and they were like hey if you do a bunch of multiplayer missions that will help with your mm. you know story progress didn't do a whole lot but at least they tried to sort of bring it together um, but that's another question is like how much do you need like both sides of it because I remember when I don't know if you guys played The Darkness back in like 2000 Seven or two thousand eight. No, I watched, um, the, I watched a film called that. But it I was a thing uh, and a band, but um, <laughs> but it was it was this whole thing. Um, and I remember when the darkness came out and they just crowbarred a multiplayer mode into it, and it felt so tacked on. Yeah. And I remember feeling back then that it wasn't like, it wasn't enough anymore to just have a story. You yeah, had to have I'll, something. I'll else. tell you a little story here. Go on. Oh, I here he is. The I think you'd agree that as we're saying with darkness, the uh, multiplayer in Uncharted Two feels also tacked on. Like pretty much, it's actually pretty good. Minute. It's fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, but yeah. But it, that was done to meet a necessity, to meet a requirement. Someone telling them, for what saying, put this on. People paying fifty quid for a game, but want to get more of it. Eight-hour storylines, mm-hmm. not enough. Mm-hmm. When Rare were developing Goldeneye, mm-hmm. uh, this was back in nineteen ninety-five. So very, very close to the end of development, the team themselves thought, "I wonder if we could have a multiplayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we do it?" Like. And, and it was tacked on, mm. but it was just because they wanted it in there and it mm. became one of the best on the N64. But in that yeah. case, that's complete, fascinating. It is fascinating because it's just a completely different mentality. They were doing it because they wanted to. Mm. It, was a, yeah. it was a thing of passion, whereas now it's because you have to. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a requirement. But it's that rare thing. It's like they, they operated on so much of their own level. I'm sure it was like the whole thing that Nintendo didn't even know it was they in had there. Very, very, it was on very... The disc. <laughs> yeah, there was very little um, interference mm-hmm. from Nintendo, especially what with Nintendo... Uh, of America mm-hmm. communicating with Rain twice across up time mm-hmm. so it was difficult to keep tabs so they were pretty much just putting in as much as they could mm-hmm. and doing as much mm-hmm. as they could because they wanted to and, it, and this is a team of about seven people right. seven or eight people you know whereas Uncharted to had 150 it was a fair whack, team, yeah. I think, yeah. the thing with the thing is with Uncharted I mean again it's in the 2000s so it's not as overblown as we have like today in terms yeah. of the, the budgets and the risks and all that kind of stuff but Uncharted I still feel like it has an, an authored sense to it like you still feel like Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley's writing mm. like it has a you know a set it's, of characters it's and got that kind personality, of stuff. Yeah, personality which is what games tend to lack mm-hmm. I used to I mean we, we know more about the development side of games now than mm. we used to mm-hmm. for sure we certainly more about the process but do we know about the personalities developed the games as much? I don't think we do. I think it, I think over the years, like things like you know, <clears throat> you've got your people like Ken Levine, Hideo Kojima, like you know, you have even the executives like Shuhei Yoshida. Like people know names yeah. of figureheads, but I think like for, for a certain, as you say, they are figureheads for a certain. They're like um, totemic figures mm-hmm. who, who, who can sometimes act as like flags mm-hmm. for certain uh, companies, mm-hmm. but. 
going back quite a while, we people used to look forward to games from particular developers, yes. mm. like the developers themselves. I, I think that's the still games. the case for people like Naughty Dog, and I mean um, oh, that's definitely yeah. the case for Amy Hennig. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, something like the like the, the personality side of it. I remember when um, looking like growing up with Halo, like you would watch the new like Bungie like release docs mm. and stuff, and it was like they were just like a team of nerds playing a great shooter, and they all played it themselves, and they balanced it amongst themselves, and there was a great feeling of like this indie sensibility, even yeah. though they weren't. But they were you know bigger. That's what I think. You, uh, what you're saying with Uncharted is, is, is you can sense it's been offered by Hennig mm-hmm. and, and by actual people. <laughs> yeah, you know, whereas you get a game with like Anthem. Destiny or any of the interchangeable battle rail shooters. Yeah. There's no sense. Hey, that, Apex that, Legends is good. Yeah, so. but I get no sense that <laughs> one person sat back and thought, you know what my dream is? I want to create create a loot box laden, yeah. <laughs> never ending shooter that looks all like all the rest. Daddy, of Daddy, I want purple loot. Yeah. I'm sick of all this green stuff. Um, to bring something else in, which you mentioned before we came in, the idea that going forward, a lot of the industry is going to move into streaming and monthly services, and yes. just, you know, have like a big archive of titles mm. that you download. Um, how much do you guys think, um, just pure prediction side, that that will affect the way that games are doled out that we'll get them in more episodically Ooh. or you'll you know they'll embrace the DLC and the additional story part that comes later and whatever I really hope not because <laughs> a DLC winds me up which I know is a I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion or not actually no I don't think so it just, I just I just don't like having things tacked on afterwards which is again the whole thing or, of the, or tacked off in advance yeah, yeah yes it's just like just give me the story I'd rather pay more have the whole complete thing and I'd rather be able to play through it at my own leisure enjoy everything mm-hmm. so I really hope that they don't do that but looking at the industry as it is and as talking about tax on items as already with all these multiplayers and all these different things, DLC as it is, is all over the place and still coming out for really old releases now. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are going to get loads more of it because it's the way that the industry makes money. Makes well, I, think, profits, so. I think they're missing a huge trick and I've, always, I've thought this ever since like 2006 or whatever, since we started getting patches and mm. the, the idea that a developer can add something to a game. Why don't they monetize older established stuff more? Because that's what Xbox and Microsoft have been proving with the Game Pass. It's mm. like, hey, we've put the original Black Ops back on Game Pass and then it goes back into the charts because people are yeah. buying it again. And so like, if you just go, we're going to do DLC for this six, seven year old game. Ooh. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know, for me that yeah. sounds great because you can you can go back to like, here's another Mass Effect. I, 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 I don't know how, I don't know how practical it is. No, I don't know, like, well, cost effective. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, you're asking people, uh, get their hands dirty with all tech. Mm. With well, it's not so far IP. back go, but I mean, yeah. I'm not saying make new original Mario levels, but like, I think you could, there's probably, I think there's something to be d- done with all those fan bases that just lie nascent and then like, we wait for the inevitable sequel, yeah. the sequel disappoints because it follows new modern trends and it's like, why mm. don't you just plug stuff back into the old games you, or like, you know. You're right, but then you end up just having this whole, like, it doesn't turn into like a whole narrative, it turns into a narrative with loads of beads stuck on the end and True. it's like, just a flailing Well, not yet, it, 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 depends on, it depends on the title because um, I remember which which Mass Effect had um, guy with the eye scar in the costume? Was Mass Effect Two? No, no, no. Doesn't matter. In Mass Effect 2, there were like two DLC characters. There oh, was that's one dude. Zaid. Zaid, yeah, yes. Yeah. Zaid and Kasumi. Yeah. And I remember thinking for them, because I thought Mass Effect 1 was so like solid. I think they mm. did do uh, DLC for Mass Effect 1, but it was like arena type stuff. It yeah, wasn't it was anything integral. I like, yeah, on <clears throat> Yeah, and so like when they did Mass Effect 2, I remember having that reaction of like, well, I don't need this. Mass yeah. Effect 2 will be this like straight thing. Um, but I mean, I, I guess I'm talking more about levels and like, re- like reapproaching old game engines or, or like adding. I have to do it well. I don't think mm. you can do it for everything. But I just think there's, there's a way to monetize gaming as a legacy as you know over the years and they haven't done that yet I guess what I should probably expand on is my main problem with DLC is when it integrates a story into a game Mm -hmm. that um, like Zaid for example or like um, some of the Skyrim expansions and everything where it, it goes in and it's 
integral to a part of a story that you're already playing. Like it's already like if you, you should be going around doing all these things and then discover. And it's like change the thing that's ongoing. Yeah. yeah. Or like all that sort of thing. Whereas if it was DLC, it should be something like The Last of Us, um, staying alive or whatever it's called. Uh, not, BG Boogaloo. Not it's dead. called a Lost Legacy. That, or, I don't know. Whatever it's called. Yes. Um, the that was like an add-on little chapter where you could have completed the game and come back to it like a year later or whatever. Mm-hmm. Playing. Well, they add-on. made it a standalone thing, but yeah. it did start as DLC. Standalone yeah. should, it should be, be additional. That, yeah, right. it should Nothing be more. an appendix. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you want. It's like I, I totally agree. I can't mm. cope playing something knowing that. I have to pay money mm. to get a full experience. Mm. Yeah. Having already bought it, or that something, or that that one plan isn't the complete version, mm. or it could be changed at a later date. I think what's the point in getting invested in something mm-hmm. that's going to be altered? Well, that's I mean that's a, a different conversation for a different part. In terms of, I think a lot of um, publishers treat the consumer base as beta testers. Yeah. Whether that's yeah. because like you know the second installment is everything the first was meant to be, or something releases in just such yeah. a fractured, broken form. Well, back so, back you know. to your original point about a streaming service, I, I actually think we'll get a service similar to something like Netflix and over-the-top service yes. where... Mm. That's like what Microsoft's trying yeah, to do. Yeah, where the publishers are directly selling you the game, mm-hmm. that you pay a subscription fee to the publisher and that gives you access to all their titles of the course of, you know, the year. Mm-hmm. You pay per month and they'll release it in piecemeal components, uh, not necessarily episodic when mm-hmm. we build as such because then it makes it sound like you're getting a small thing. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know, for an example, he is Anthem, but you only get like... Yeah. Well, a chunk of the yeah, content yeah. and they'll gradually add it's to well, it and like you keep yeah. paying you get more mm-hmm. so it's like, it's like basically as World, where World of Warcraft's been working or MMOs have been working mm-hmm. for the last yeah. that's, that's, a good, that's a good test case because obviously like yeah Warcraft but that's obviously so big that you can just plug additional campaigns and characters and yeah, stuff and, into and, it and the, and the big difference with MMOs is that the social there's something else to keep you playing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Anthem's <laughs> case though like to, to bring it like you can kind of connect it all together because Anthem obviously charges up front premium price or whatever yeah. then immediately on day one they were like here's our uh, roadmap for the rest of the year and there's a big old story chunk of Anthem not coming I think it's in May um, which is like deals with something that happens after the end and it's, so it's like okay like I don't I quite like the idea of gaming playing with itself as a medium and being mm. like well we're going to give you like episode one or the first massive chunk and we'll add to this as we go and you're with us for the long haul kind of thing and you've already mm. bought you know you've bought mm. into the whole thing mm. yeah. like, like I think Shenmue that's... it's like we're 20 years and you can have <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they're finally wrapping that up um, but I think you know, that, sorry if they just sorry. say that from the outset that's fine if they say this is like Walking Dead season yes. tell Games. It, yeah, if they say it is, it is fine, one. and, they also, and yeah. also the the other major thing is the price. Mm. So mm-hmm. you, you're not paying fifty pound for episode one yes. of The Walking Dead. Well, that's what would go away if you did the monthly. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, so. as long as the price points of AAA games are like 55, 60 mm. quid, and mm. I know that hasn't actually changed, but what you're getting has changed. If anything, it's gone down, like based on <laughs> some generations. Well, it depends. Mm. Um, <laughs> I know when the N64 first came out, you mm. paying 60, 70 quid for some mm. cards, but that was because of production mm. and rarity. It mm. wasn't because that was just standard, but right. yeah, about 50 quid, isn't it? About 55 quid. Mm-hmm. I just remember and, um, some headline being like, we're paying less for games these days than we ever have. Well, it's like, kind of. Pay- we might be, but we're not getting as much mm. right. money. So, but, but, you have to get a cer- there's a certain level that you have to get for that money mm. which you could eliminate completely with a streaming service mm-hmm. if you're paying £10 a month you're quite satisfied that you're getting a half finished game because yeah. that's only a tenner Oh, I, I, I really don't want it to get that way. The thing, the, <laughs> the thing that it, it's like is exactly like the film industry and the TV industry and what's happening now with Netflix as a streaming service which we've already brought up is that people are gravitating towards TV and they want mm. like weekly installments and things that keep going so they can stay in these worlds but then I think the movie industry is going to become increasingly episodic oh I really oh, oh that's bleh, bad bleh, which I would hate but like um, but it's, we're already seeing it happen like you say like 
um, movies being converted into TV series yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, and you get you get part one, part two, but that is dying off a bit again because I think film is coming back to its natural form of being like, right, well, here is a film, here is the story. If we're going to do another one, it will be a, a sequel, which is its mm-hmm. own contained story. They tried um, with, like, Ultimate Editions and XYZ, and yeah. it was like, yeah. But it's like... Well, where we've gone with Netflix is having all these episodic things um, and people want to binge them is the thing. People want 10 episodes released at the same time. They want an extended long-form story that they can have in chunks but at their own leisure, which I think is what gaming will do. I think it will go through this thing of being more episodic, more bits and bits and bits until people go, just give me all my crumbs, I want a loaf of bread and like (laughs) make it into one big release, which Uh is what this streaming service could do. It could release the crumb one by one and Mm -hmm. and then have them all collected at the end until people go, right, just give us the Well, that does... That might sound like a a, a decent thing in Mm. some regards, but that means what instead if of you need a loaf of bread for you to feed the feed well, family. Exactly. What if you were told you need to pay three times the price for that loaf of bread to well, feed the family? That because, brings us mm. like that brings us full circle because then you've got the corporate mentalities infecting that if, idea again. If you get a game that they say, <clears> well, you you're paying a yearly subscription, you're gonna get a chunk of it every month. Mm-hmm. After twelve months you might have paid hundred and twenty pounds mm. for this one True. game. I mean that's 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 the thing with gaming is that all these things are constantly in flux. I mean how you monetize a, a monthly rollout of I mean at the minute we've got uh, Game Pass and we've got PlayStation now. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. But so. they work so well because they release fat chunks of games yeah. well, together well, game, as one Game thing. Pass is mm-hmm. tremendous value because you yes. get a lot of free games on yeah. it. You oh, yeah. Legacy yeah. games. You get actual complete games. Games, as you say, that's so. the thing. They're not games when they're chunks. They're like playable experiences. It's, it's not a it's, game. It's like, it's like having a library card. You go in, you expect to be able to take out a full book. I know yeah. libraries do still exist. Brilliant mm. contemporary reference there. Yeah. <laughs> some, some stuff though, I mean, uh, we were wrapping the podcast up, but some stuff like uh, Game Pass, they'll do like, here's episode one of Life is Strange or here's mm. episode one of some other thing that is going to be episodic from the outset. Mm. And so I guess like it's a communication issue in that yeah. Regard because yeah. you wouldn't just play something and then realize it's not all there. But I do think having the monthly thing would relax all those expectations because a lot of the problems that people have with games is that they're, they've invested this premium price thing and a premium, you know, like AAA game just isn't mm. what it used to be in terms of the state it is at launch and how much is going to be added over time. Ooh. So there's, there's a, all that. There's the other way it could go. I'm just going to throw in another, do it. another fish into the frying pan. I'm, I've got food on the mind. The loaves and the fish, eh? Uh, yeah, fish and bread, the Why two not? quantities we need. But um, to have a, another thought, I think another way the the game oh, say film industry the mm. way the game industry could go would be to look at Kickstarter and that being used right. as something that we are invested in as episodic, but they only release the full game at the end of this narrative of this is what we're doing now, this is what we're doing now. We'd like your opinion on this. Here's a beta test. Mm-hmm. So you talk about yeah. a, like a sort of democratized model yes. of video games. Well, so that's... That, could, that could be what you pay to invest in. You yeah. watch the experience happen and so, have your so say in it. So in a sense, the consumers become the developers. Well, that's literally what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying in terms of we've been forced into being, that's that relationship between a developer and a, com- and a, a consumer base mm. is what we have right now, but we're mm. unwillingly part of that. Yeah. Because everyone sends all the feedback back and then and they implement here's a bunch of day one patches yeah. or patches going forward, features that were missed or whatever. And it's that relationship, but yeah. without it being advertised as Kickstarter. So it's a, a communication issue as well. Um, but for now, we're going to wrap this thing. We might do a part two, depending on how many other thoughts and conversations and rambles we have uh, as we leave this room. But for now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. Let me know what you think down in the comments below if you're watching the video version, or you can find us on social media if you're on any of the audio platforms. So yes, I've been your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Benjamin Richardson. Goodbye. Nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy by Ash Millman. Goodbye. I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.